welcome back to another episode of Dr. Me First. I'm your colleague in medicine, and that's right, coach in life, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman. And today I'm going to share the recorded portion of my most recent masterclass that I did on a Sunday about career change and the expectations you should have around it as far as time, tips and tools you need to have. I'm going to give you some homework from it and share some stories of some real life badasses who have gone through the changes, who have picked their hard and decided they wanted a fulfilling life and fulfilling work. So sit back, relax. And hey, if you want to catch the whole masterclass next time, make sure you get signed up with the link for February's masterclass. We're going to be talking more about career change because that's what the questions are that are coming and I love to answer them. So let's get into the recording. All right, so we are here to talk about career change today. I'm going to tell you my best tips, some tricks, and a formula that I think you can use to make it happen. This is not new year, new you bullshit. So if you want some of that, go get you some inspiration on Instagram. This is about you who have really thought about what am I going to do for my career? And I want to actually give you tangible tips to do it. No like pretty journals and stickers, which I do love a good journal and stickers. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is I really want to give you hard facts, both from my own experience, from the people that I've worked with, and all the research that I've done in the area of burnout, in transition, and in professional development. So first, when we're talking about career change, we're going to talk about time expectation. Because I think so many times when I start talking to somebody or I get a first email or they jump in the Slack group or maybe on a discovery call, I have to remind people that you didn't get burned out in three months, so it's not going to be like cleaned up in three months. And so just to get that in line, that and for me, it personally took two years from a place of like, oh, shit, I can't keep doing this until I saw actual external real change. Now, there was a lot of small steps in between there. But what I personally see when I start working with someone, some of the fast ones get it done within a year. But typically, it's somewhere between like a year and three years that I really see for people to have a very well-grounded career change moving in the direction. Now, they may not be in their forever job at that point, but they're definitely moving into a better spot. For me, for my forever job, it took me eight and a half years. So from that point of I can't do this to now I can tell you today the work that I'm doing clinically like lights my fucking soul on fire. Like I have found why I went to medical school finally. And I was just talking to my nurse practitioner the other day and I, she was talking about maybe going back to school and getting some more education. And I was like, and you should, if you haven't found the thing that lights you on fire yet, keep searching. I mean, cause I'm 11 years out of medical school now. And now just finally settling into what I think, well, what I know. What I know turns my crank and makes me so excited, which if you don't know, is a combination of family medicine and addiction medicine. Oh, my God. I, I find when I'm in a conversation with talking with someone with substance abuse, I get to do so much coaching with them. And it's like so real. I can drop F-bombs in the exam rooms and they don't even care. They're like, oh, my God, you're a cussing doctor. And I'm like, yes, I am. So anyway, 
I like I said, I finally found my niche as far as as what I'm doing. And that's what I hope to help everybody else. But with that, there is no right time length like that. You do this at three months and then you do this at six months and then you do this at nine months. I know we all want the railroad tracks, but they're just unrealistic and they're not there. So I'm going to give you generals and just remember that these are soft timelines. These are not like exact has to happen. So what I see for people, like I said, it's typically somewhere between one and three years to make a well-grounded transition. When I've seen people or worked with people that have moved too fast, it's because a lot of times their thought process is like, I must have changed now. Like they are to a point that they are so burnt out that they are at the bottom of the barrel and they jump out of the pot into the fire. And when they do that, in my experience working with people, they typically hop into a worse position because they haven't fact-checked They haven't worked with a professional to make sure that it's well-grounded in what they want to do. They haven't done enough introspective work that they aren't really able to honestly answer the questions of how many shifts do I actually want? Instead, they're still basing those decisions off of what other people need instead of advocating for what they want. And so what I remind those people is no matter where you go, you take yourself. That's why it's so important to understand yourself to know what your core values are, know what kind of life you want to set yourself up for. Because on the other side of the negotiation table, they're going to have needs. And guess what? You're not going to be able to meet all those needs no matter what. So instead, let's go to that and pick what you want instead. I'm going to tell you a story about Dr. P. She is a wonderful subspecialist, fellowship trained. She came to me when she was working at an academic center totally burned out, totally frustrated with her director, with her administration. She kind of liked working with the residents and the fellows. She really liked interacting on the floor with the staff, but everything else she was just like done with. She was young. And so she felt like, of course, no one was listening to her because she was like the kid in the room, even though she was probably the top fellowship trained faculty that they had in this subspecialist. And she was like, I have got to get out of there now. And I was like, okay, well, we'll work with you. And so did one-on-one coaching with her, did some group coaching with her as well. And then one day I get an email and she's like, hey, I'm taking a new job. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Which is fine. You know, like I don't dictate your life. I'm not going to tell you what to do and not do. But now retrospectively, after we've worked through this new job, she got into it. She was told a lot of things that were not factual. She got into this new position as a director of a facility, and it was awful to the point that there were ethical things being done within this facility that she's like, oh my God, I can't have my name on this. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my license. I'm afraid of malpractice. Luckily, she had kept in contact with me. We got her in touch with a good attorney and was able to get her out of this situation. But she's one of the examples, and she clearly will admit it now. She's like, I moved too fast. And she will tell you that move came out of a place of desperation instead of a place of moving towards further fulfillment. Like she was running away. So one question I always ask everybody, and it's never 100 or zero, but what's the breakdown percentage of how much are you running towards something and how much are you running away from something? And so I think it's a good 
percentage to think about because if it's more you're running away from something, that means you'll run towards anything. And are you okay with that breakdown? So that's my example of moving too fast. On the flip side, moving too slow. Now, granted, some circumstances do slow down the timeline. However, almost all of these can be tackled in a different way. But moving too slow. A lot of times when I see these people, they'll come to me, send me an email, do a one-on-one call, get in the Slack group, and they'll give me, they're on the call for me to help them, but they'll give me all the excuses of why, why they can't leave or what is keeping them trapped. And they're still very much stuck almost in like a passive victim mode. And they haven't taken accountability to like, this is my life. I get to decide. And usually there's a lot of fear around that as well. Fear of the change. I also see this too in physicians who have changed jobs a couple different times. It's almost like they've got job change fatigue because they're scared to go to the next thing because they're like, well, fuck, I've changed five different times and I still haven't found it. And sometimes I can see people who take too long because they're waiting for a sign or they're waiting for something to fall into their lap. Now, that's great for Disney movies, but I don't know about you guys, but rarely has anything just like been handed over to me. And I'll talk about the steps of where you can go out and actually make opportunities for yourself and get things. But I want to talk about now wrapping back to a story about Dr. C. So she is an ER physician. She came to me. She told me all the reasons why she couldn't leave her job. Um, Part of it was like loan repayment or loan forgiveness. I can't remember which one it was. But anyway, she had to give like so many years and she was like one year into like five or 10 year repayment or something like that. And I literally just got an email from her last week because I always kept challenging her. I'm like, but we need to think about this in a different way. Like, is your health, is your mental state worth staying in a position that is slowly worsening you. Like that we know when you're off of work, you feel so much better. There's been other work environments. Why are you staying somewhere that is toxic and malignant to you? Anyway, back to her email she sent me. She was able, after my advice of getting some more professional help, she had an attorney look over her contract and it didn't say that she had to stay in the ER department, but that she had to stay with the organization. So she actually recently transitioned And she was able to continue her loan forgiveness repayment because it wasn't linked to only the ER. It was linked to the whole organization. So she is working less. She's making less money. On the flip side, she feels so good about her life. She feels so much happier. And she feels like that burden of the loan forgiveness is no longer there because she's still doing it. She was worried about having to like repay back a whole like slug of money. And so she's an example that I want to show that she was kind of slogging through it for a while until she finally like got out of her own way to look at things differently and to accept help from some different some different locations. Like I said, having an attorney really dig into the contract and see like, am I really stuck or is there another way around this? So. Then the other thing I want to say about the time expectation is that we will always keep evolving. There is no like, boom, I've made it. You know, I'm done. I'm working part time or I'm working this position. I was just talking to my nurse practitioner that I now work with and I was telling her it's good now. And of course, we hope for it to stay good in our department now. But there's going to be leadership changes. There's going to be other like crap that happens 
but it, we don't have to start worrying about those things till they actually occur. And then reminding yourself that you have always figured it out to this point. You will always figure it out again. Because I think so many times we just want to like do the thing and it to be static and stay and never move and change again. It's just not how life is. It's just not. But I think what it makes it easier is once you've done a transition and you've learned about yourself and what you want and you've allowed yourself to change, the next time it's not quite as hard. And the next time after that, it's not quite as hard. Now, of course, things could come up and like knock you off your rocker, but that's when you already have the skills and the tips and tricks to know how to realign yourself again. So that's time expectation. One to three years. If you're going quicker, I feel like we need to like talk to you. If you're taking longer, I feel like I need to talk to you. And if you've made your transition and now you're like, oh shit, I'm doing it again, that's totally normal. Okay, let's get into tips and tricks. Does everybody have like a piece of paper? It could be like a like a yellow sheet, lined piece of paper, a post-it note, I don't care. Everybody get a piece of paper. This is gonna be your homework. We're not gonna do it now, but I'm gonna show you it and I want you to do it after we're done. So you're gonna get a piece of paper and draw X on it. So making four quadrants on your piece of paper. And how I want you to label them is the top one, I want you to put strengths, my strengths. Next to it, I want you to put my fears. Then down below, I want you to put opportunities. And then next to that is possible threats. So I call this the strengths, fears, opportunities, threats activity. And what you want to do is when you're thinking about making a career transition and change, I really want you to hone in on these four different areas because these are kind of the things that tend to bubble up. And if you don't have an answer for them, or if your square is so filled in, like you start panicking and having anxiety attack about it, it's something to approach. So in the strengths block, I want you to put everything that can be considered a strength. And remember, even like your sassiness, that can be considered a strength or that you've been told you're too bossy or too bitchy. That's a strength as well as leadership, my friend. In your fears box, I want you to really focus on your own fears and maybe the fears that others have placed onto you that you are holding as your own. In the opportunities box, I want you to think of all the things that are in front of you that you possibly could do. And you know what? Maybe other opportunities is you are a mother of multiples or your child has some type of diagnosis. Only you can speak to that. Other opportunities, maybe you've got an avid hobby that you are just like all into. You know, that's not what other people can do in this world. Maybe it's an opportunity located in your demographic, in your geographic location, in your specialty, something that you see in front of you is like, oh my gosh, that could definitely be a possibility. All of that needs to go in your opportunity box. And the last box is possible threats. And those are all the reasons that your brain gives you why this is not gonna work, that like your kids are gonna be eating out of the garbage, eating two day old McDonald's fries, or that somebody's gonna come repossess your house because how can you even think about changing job? All those crazy things that your brain gives you. I know my brain gives me so many of those perceived threats that when you write them down and look at them, then you're like, mm, maybe that's not such a big deal. And some some of them feel like such a big deal. I remember when I was going through transition and we were paying like, I think like $2,100 a month on student loans at that point. And I was like, how are we even going to do this? Ah, you know, 
they're going to come like take our firstborn away if we don't do the loan repayment. It was a perceived threat. But in reality, it was just getting creative and realizing like, oh, we were, you know, paying ahead on the students loans. If you go back to those loan providers, get minimum payments, stretch them out over a longer period of time, you can drop that payment significantly, which is what we did until our income went back up. So strengths, fears, opportunities, and threats. We'll talk more about it at the end, but that's going to be your homework from today that I want you to sit down and think about. Let's talk about the other tools besides that exercise that I want you to do as you're thinking about career change. First one is networking. Medical professionals suck at networking, especially since we don't have those conferences that we go to and sit around the round tables and eat lunch with people we don't know. We call that networking. That's not real network. I mean, it's a little bit of networking, but I'm actually saying doing intentional networking, finding people who are doing super awesome things in the world that you want to do and having a conversation with them. Maybe it's going on LinkedIn and actually creating a profile and then having conversations with those people. Maybe it's listening to my podcast and then after you hear me interview a guest, like reaching out to them and emailing them and trying to get more information. Networking is your single most important tool when you're thinking about making a job change because one, you're proving to your brain, look, this thing I wanna do actually exists in the world. And then two, you have somebody you can go to to be kind of like a pseudo mentor to help you out and say like, how did you start a concierge medicine, ENT, wax removal procedure process only, you know, type of thing? How did you become a insert the blank and have conversation with them and help them help you along the way? There is a module in my Burnt Out to Badass self-paced course all about networking where I teach you everything I think you need to know about networking so you can work your network to help you move. I'll be perfectly honest, that's how I got into podcasting and that's how I got a lot better at it was because I found people who were podcasting, I had conversations with them, and I learned what I needed to know because they don't teach you podcasting in medical school, right? And so it was early on in podcasting, and so there weren't all these great courses and stuff like that. So networking, single greatest tool. Second greatest tool that you're having during a job change is support and community. So I can't remember the guy's full name, but he had a quote, if you surround yourself with negative people, you can't expect positive results. He was the one that said you are the average of the five closest people around you. Like I said, I blanked on his name. I'll have to Google it. But it is true. And sometimes the people that are closest to us want to hold fear for us, our family, our spouse, our friends, our coworkers. And so I really want to clearly define support and community as Again, those people who can hold your hopes, dreams, and aspirations in just pure safety, not with judgment, not with critique, but just saying, yeah, I think that's absolutely possible. And so there's a lot of places that you can find that support and community. Maybe it's other, you know, medical professionals, female physicians in your area, if you're in a large area. For me, being in the middle of nowhere, Southern Indiana, it is online. I'll be perfectly honest. You guys have heard this. I'm the only female physician in my county. The other four doctors here are not even in my age demographic. So I had to find people online to gather that support. 
The Badass Slack group is a great place to have that support and community. There's a lot of really, really cool places now online where you can get that support. And I would say making those connections and not just like kind of sorta online friends, like no, like having real conversations with people and being able to know like if I reach out, someone is going to respond to me is super important. So support and community. Number one, networking. Number two, support and community. Number three, professional help. And when I say professional help, I'm talking about a whole laundry list of people who are professionals who help you. So one is having a very good attorney. I think everybody should have someone who they feel like they can talk to, who doesn't talk down to them, who's willing to spend time with them, understand what you're trying to explain. Because not all attorneys are made equal, we'll be perfectly honest. But someone who's willing to navigate this journey with you, be it contract negotiations or reviewing documents as well, to give you some of the legal support. Number two, I think important for professional help is your own doctor and or your own therapist as well. How many times do we not take care of ourselves when we absolutely need to? I mean, I think primary care is some of the worst about not having a primary care doctor. And so I think it's super important to have your doctor where you can be like, okay, I'm taking off my white coat now. I just want to be a patient and to help. And the same thing with a therapist. I think it's very important that we all start addressing our traumas that we've had in medicine, because let's be perfectly honest, you don't get through medicine without having a few scars and a few bumped up. So I think having a therapist is really important. Other professional help you can think about, maybe having like a fitness trainer, multiple babysitters, not just one. (laughs) You got to have lots of them. I have three right now that are on my call list lawn care or house cleaners, maybe somebody who shops for you, you know, a personal assistant. Yes, that's truly a thing. There's a lady in my community here who has become a personal assistant who will like run your mail to the post office or take your dog to go get cleaned or whatever. Amazing. And she loves it. She loves helping people out. It's not a burden for her and she doesn't ask that much money for it. So I think it's so important to start unburdening yourself and taking care of yourself truly when you're going through a career transition by having those people. So again, networking, community support, professional help. And the fourth one is where I come in and that's personal development. I think a coach or someone who can help you navigate this space and who knows that it's more than just mindset bullshit. Like there's some actual tangible things that you have to do when it comes to career change. If it's beefing up your CV, if it's understanding how to go into negotiation, if it's understanding how to navigate the gaps between one job and starting another, I think it's important to find somebody who through that as well. And I'm not the only coach out there. There's lots of great people. You can check out physiciancoachingalliance.com for other amazing coaches. But I just think that it's so, so very important that you have somebody who has walked the walk and can talk the talk as well. And I think the last thing to plan for in this tips and tricks is that you have to plan for the dumpster fires. That even though you can have a all the help in the world, you can have all the support in the world, you can have networked your ass off, Still knowing you could go strong into your negotiation, asking for part-time, and they tell you no. And then later on, come back and ask you to do PRN. (laughs) I mean, 
those dumpster fires is just to let you know that like this is life and nothing has gone wrong here. So those are the tips I want you to get and to take away. And then the last thing is I want to share a few stories about people who have taken this advice, who have done the hard work, who have sat down with themselves and really figured out what they wanted. One of them is Dr. E. She is a surgical subspecialist. She came to me right before she had already on her own initiated a one-month break away from her practice. And she wanted to come coach with me to be like, okay, I need this month to be like the most restorative and best month ever. And I was like, oh, okay, so we have three weeks to get ready for your month. (laughs) But luckily, we were able to get her ready for her break. We actually coached quite a bit during her time away. And what that really revered to her as she then came back is she had that month to like breathe and like realize that there's life outside of practice and everything like that. It really helped show her that it was time for her to step away from her practice. So she was one of those people that emailed me. She's, I think she said her last day was December 31st and that she is now headed into a new direction and really loving her life. Another doc that sent me an email, we'll call her Dr. W. She is a um, subspecialty in radiology. She's more in career. Her kids are late high school and into college. And she was realizing that she's coming up on, you know, the quote unquote golden years of her practice, but they don't feel that golden whatsoever. She had already negotiated to work four days a week. She had already worked with somebody about getting her charting more effective, but she just still felt like things were not working well. And so we worked together one-on-one for a while and she sent me an email in December and said she had worked her last days as well. She was one that had initially put in to resign at the beginning of 2020, but her company came back to her and said, hey, you know, we'll make it worth your while if you stay another year. And that worked out for her. And she said that felt like the best thing that she could have done was to keep going for that year, but that she was really glad. And actually, she is now going to do some locums work and spend more time with her family. And so another successful transition as far as with that. And then my last one, I'm calling Dr. S. She's family medicine. She came to me getting ready to have her first baby kind of overwhelmed with everything that was going on. And so we really talked about, you know, what is it that you want to do? Because she had all these shoulds in her head, like what she should do. And in addition to starting her own family, she already she had some stuff going on with her family of origin as well. But she was actually successfully able to transition away from the practice that was really draining her because they did not want to give her more telemed and more flexibility and is now doing some urgent care and loving life so much better than before. So those are my examples that this is absolutely possible. You've got my tips and tricks. You've got some time expectation. I want you to do that homework as far as with the four different quadrants sometimes. Sit down and write them all out. And if you need more help, get in the Badax Slack group. So I hate Facebook. I won't do Facebook. So Slack is a lot quieter and a lot more chill. It's where we give help, support, and encouragement. It's really me talking to you, I promise. And so if you want to post your answers in Slack and send them to me, you absolutely can. You can email them to me for extra credit that the strengths, fears, opportunities, and threats. But I just want you to know that you can have second-year medical student love. And like I said before the recording, is it going to be easy? No, 
but you just pick your hard. So you either stay in what's hard now or you decide to make some shifts and some moves and go for that hard with a bigger payout. Thanks, guys. friend, I want to invite you to my monthly masterclass. It's live. It's confidential. It's a whole shit ton of fun. Let me tell you. It's typically the last Sunday of the month, but check the dates because sometimes I do change things around. Can almost bet it's at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We talk about a variety of topics such as burnout, aka my favorite, being a badass, taking breaks, going outside, student loans, burnout recovery, relapse, and so many more. So click in the show notes so that you can get signed up today and get the emails with the notifications of the date, the time, the link, and all the deets that you will need for it. Now I got to tell you, the real magic wasn't recorded. (laughs) So I like to hold super safe space whenever I do these masterclasses, and I purposefully don't record the whole thing because I want people to be able to openly and honestly talk about what they're going through, the issues that they're having, or even share some past shit to inspire other people to make the changes as well. So it's really important to get there live so that you can see everybody and hear all the conversations. But I'm at least glad to have given this portion to you today. I'm here for you. I got your back. And always remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you soon, friend.